Welcome to the Voice of the Nations broadcast. I'm your host. I pray this day that the very air you breathe will give you life and cause you to find favor in every area of your life that you may be in need of this day. What a wonderful time it is, first of all, to be in the presence of the Lord, but secondly, to be alive. This is Bond Radio, and I hope you're having an awesome time in your walk with God. I have been teaching about the seven spirits of God. I left off on last teaching, uh, speaking about Stephen, Deacon Stephen, the evangelist, and how he gave his life for the gospel's sake, and how he walked in the power of might. Talking about the seven spirits of God, let me run through them again. The first one is the spirit of the Lord, and then the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might and knowledge and fear of the Lord. I have been teaching about the spirit of might. And once again, I just want to just kind of lay this out. The Holy Spirit is mentioned by many titles of what we sometimes call names in the Bible. Each title is reference to a particular role or function the Holy Spirit performs in the earth or in the life of mankind. Uh, in our last teaching about the names of the Holy Spirit, we see that the Spirit of God are the seven spirits of God. Uh, these are different ways that He reveals Himself to the church or to the world. So as we're talking about the seven spirits of God, we're not saying that God has seven different spirits. No, these are different ways that one spirit manifests itself in at least seven different ways. And speaking about the spirit of might, you go back to the scripture, Isaiah 11th chapter in the second verse, we learn about the Holy Spirit as a spirit of might. And the term might used in this verse is a derivative of a Hebrew word called Gabor. Gabor means champion, strong, mighty, uh, he who excels. When the spirit of might comes upon your life, you excel, you don't fail, you excel, you exceed, you advance, you uh, take over. It causes you to take control of the gates of your enemies. It causes you to rise, not run. And don't get me wrong, there may be a time to run, but I'm telling you, our adversaries are standing up this day and it's not time to run away from them, it's time to run towards them. I'm speaking about the spirit of might. The spirit of might makes you strong and bold. Um, the term is also used with uh, one of the names of God, El Gabor, which literally translates into mighty God, the mighty God. The spirit of might is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit revealed with power in your life. When God wants to show himself strong, he comes forth in the spirit of might. The Strong's Concord Concordance says that might are Gabor in Hebrew and in Strong's number 1369, it means force, mastery, mighty acts, power, and strength. Have you ever seen someone, or maybe you've done it yourself, you've taken a power drink, you know, you're a little flush in your body and you needed some strength. Uh, you took something with some caffeine in it 
and it made you strong. It gave you strength to, you know, do some extra work that day. It gave you strength to make it. I mean, sometimes I have been so tired when I have awakened in the morning, four in the morning, and uh, had to go to work. Sometimes I have to take something that gives my body some might, some power, and um, it allows me to work rest of the day with strength. And that's how the Holy Spirit is when the spirit of might comes upon you. He gives your spirit strongness and boldness. It gives you a confidence that you may not have had before. And to walk powerfully in the spirit in these last days is going to take the spirit of might to do it. Now let's go uh, to the book of Joshua, the 23rd chapter. And I want to start reading at the first verse. I want to go to Joshua. Now Joshua was uh, the young protege of uh, Moses that led the children of Israel into the promised land. If you remember, Moses had died and God said to Joshua, Moses, you know, my servant is dead. Arise up and take these people into the promised land. And that's what Joshua did. Had a powerful life, fought many battles. And in the first verse, it says, the years passed and the Lord had given the people of Israel rest from all their enemies. Joshua, who's now very old. So they have fought battle after battle after battle. And Joshua was their leader. He was courageous. You look at the book of Joshua and some of those old other books, you'll see a lot of death in the books. You'll see a lot of death that it took to take control over the land that God had given the chosen children of Israel. And in the second verse, he said, it called together all the elders and leaders and judges and officers of Israel. And he said to them, I am now very old. I am a now a very old man. And you have seen everything the Lord your God has done for you during my lifetime. The Lord your God has fought for you against your enemies. It's no way that the children of Israel as weak, as timid, as little in number as they were, were able to fight and defeat the different giants of the land when they went into the Canaanites and other different lands to take uh, control and possession. If it had not been for the Lord that was fighting for them, I think we always have to remember that no matter how physically strong we are, if you are saying it is the Lord that goes before you and fights on your behalf. And that is such a blessing because the enemy a lot of times is defeated before we get there. When the spirit of might goes in front of us or the spirit of the fear of the Lord goes in front of us and defeats our enemy. So Joshua is reminding them of everything that they had been through. He said, you have seen everything the Lord your God has done for you during my lifetime. He has fought for you against your enemies. And I have allotted to you as your homeland all the land of the nations yet unconquered, as well as the land of those we have already conquered from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea in the West. 
He said, this land will be yours. For the Lord your God will himself drive all the people living there now. He's going to drive them out, all the people living there now. And you will take possession of their land just as the Lord your God promised you. So Joshua is telling them that there's still some land that is unconquered. And he's given them hope that that land that is unconquered will be your land. Because God, even though he's letting them know that he's going to die, he's letting them know that God has already given you the land. And I think this gives uh, us assurance. Whatever God has said that we could have, we have to have assurance that God is not a man that he should lie. And if he said it, if we said we could, he could, we could have it, then we have to take possession of it. But this is the key. If God has spoken it over your life, you have to do something about it. He's saying that I've already given it to you. Now you have to go and take possession. He told Joshua, he said, look, man, he said, uh, you need to take these people to the place that, I, that I've already given them. They had to fight. They could not stay on that side of the Jordan and not fight. They had to fight, take possession. They had to take, put on their swords and their shields and their other armory. And they had to go into battle with the knowledge that they may not live, with the knowledge that someone was going to die because they had to possess the land. And most of the time, they had to kill those that were in the land. I'm not telling you to go and kill anyone. I'm just telling you that they had to take possession of what God said was theirs. Now, what has God said was yours? You need to spiritually and physically sometimes take possession of it, not with violence. Don't get me wrong. But you have to possess. And, and, and most of the time, you have to possess it in the spirit before you can physically have it. I think the greatest thing, one of the greatest things you can do is when you're facing some type of adversity, and when the enemy has something, maybe a position on your job or whatever it is, has something that belongs to you. I believe that one of the greatest things you can do is fight it in the spirit before you ever fight it in the flesh. If you're fighting in the spirit, half of the battles already are won. A lot of times we, we just want to go and fight and argue and do all these different things that we have not prayed about it. We have not asked the spirit of might and counsel and the spirit of the Lord to come upon us. We have not uh, done these things. We have not sought the counsel of God. And that's why we mess it up a lot of times because he's already given it to you. You have to take possession, take possession of that business, take possession of those forces fighting against your marriage and fighting against your health. Somebody is sick in their body. Jesus died for you to be healed by his stripes. You were healed. You are healed. You were healed. It's already done. Take possession. Take the Holy Scriptures of the Lord. Every scripture you can find on divine healing 
and present that unto the Lord. Say, Lord, this is what you said I could have. This is what Jesus died for me to have. I take possession because as long as you don't take possession, you're going to stay sick in your, sick in your body. As long as you don't take possession, you live the rest of your life in poverty. But yet, he was made poor that we might become rich. We have to know the scriptures in order to fight and take possession of that which belongs to us. You can go to court and you can get a restraining order against someone, maybe because of domestic abuse or something like that. You can get it on paper, but it has to be enforced. Someone has to take that document and uh, give it to that person that you cannot come a certain distance uh, to this person. Uh, they have to be notified some kind of way. That's taking possession of what has been rendered in the court or the judicial system. So whatever has been rendered according by the word of God, that's what we use to fight against our adversary. Praise God. And so Joshua said, all the unconquered land, don't worry about it. It's already yours. For the Lord will drive them out. How was he going to drive them out? When the children of Israel started to fight, God was going to fight for them. God was not going to just sit up there and say, okay, well, it's already yours. And they can sit back and watch, you know, TV. <laughs> you know, binge on some uh, reality show. It wasn't going to happen like that. They were not going to stay in their camps and let God do all the fighting and not take possession. No, it, it doesn't happen like this. Praise God. So in the sixth verse, it says, So be very careful to follow everything Moses wrote in the book of instruction. Do not deviate from it, turning either to the right or to the left. Make sure you do not associate with the other people still remaining in the land. Do not even mention the names of their gods, much less swear by them, or serve them, or worship them. So Joshua is giving the children of Israel counsel. He's giving them advice. He said, everything Moses wrote in the book of the law, the book of instruction, do not deviate from it. Do not turn from it. Follow everything he said. When you go in the land, make sure that you don't make pacts and and covenants and associate with the people of the land. And uh, don't mention the names of their gods. Don't be partaking of what they have and what they do in their lifestyle. Rather, cling tightly to the Lord, your God, as you have done until now. For the Lord has driven out great and powerful nations for you, and no one has yet been able to defeat you. As I said before, the nations that Israel fought, they were stronger, they were more courageous, they were mightier than Israel. But Israel had the God of the universe on their side, and that's why they had victory. Man, let me tell you, it was, um, you remember they spent 40 years in the wilderness, and I think it was, I don't know if it was Rahab or someone that said that, you know, the fear of, uh, uh, of our people have been in dread uh, for many years because of what your God has done. And uh, they didn't realize, and a lot of times we don't realize who on, who's on our side. 
when we go into battle, sometimes we forget that we have backup. We forget that we have the, the forces of heaven on our side to fight on our behalf. And I believe that, that sometimes when we are praying that we ask God to release the angelic host, the warring angels, to tear down strongholds and to tear down and open up different realms of influence for us. We have to know strategy. Any military, when they're going out to battle, they send reconnaissance missions out. They survey the land, they survey the people, they survey the, the targets that they need to hit. Um, they survey the communication. They survey the defense of that land, of that adversary. And they start making strategy. They go into war strategy rooms. And these generals and these guys that are in charge, they get together their teams and they strategize how they will defeat their enemy. They just don't go in and run in like John Wayne. Bam, 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 bam. No, they need to know the strength of their enemy. And they take the time before they go into battle, they research. This is what we have to do, saints. We have to strategize with the counsel of God. We have to strategize in our war, in our prayer room, while we're praying and we're asking God, how can I have victory in this area? How can I defeat my enemy with your word, with what Christ has done for me? How can I defeat him? And you'll get victory every time. Now, is the battle going to be tense? Intense? Yes. But it's already been given to you. The battle is not yours. It is the Lord. It's already been given to you. And I think that is what you need to know in this hour. He's already made a way for you to walk as a champion to walk in strength and boldness. As I spoke about on our last teaching, I was talking about Stephen. How Stephen, he preached with such boldness. It is amazing when you read the story of Stephen's life. He was the first deacon. He was operating in signs, wonders, and miracles. And, and, and the religious leaders, they hated him because um, he claimed Christ and he displayed the power of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, they started lying on him. They brought him up to the Supreme Court of the land and uh, they were accusing him of all different things. And he stood up in the midst of them and the spirit of might, spirit of boldness came upon his life. And he was telling them about themselves. You hear what I'm saying? He was telling them about themselves and their mama too. And I'm telling you what, that spirit of boldness came on is so strong that Jesus himself stood up. Whew. First time you're going to see in scripture that Jesus stands up because someone is preaching with power. And it cost him his life. But in the end, as he died, he asked God, don't lead a charge against him. Oh my gosh, this brother had so much power and so much authority. So we're speaking about the spirit of might and uh, being bold with the things of God. What did God say you could have? What did God say you could do? That's what you need to get down in your spirit. 
Guys, that's all for this broadcast, and I hope it was a blessing to you. I want you to walk in boldness. This is Voice Over Nations, Von Radio, Caribbean. I'll be back real soon. Take care. Hey guys, welcome to the Incredible Voice Over Nations broadcast. I'm your host for today, Carrie B. This is Vaughn Radio. It is my desire to give you a word that's going to change your life forever. A word that will just impact you with so much wisdom and understanding from the word of God that you'll walk in the very power of his might. I thank God for you today. I thank you for tuning in. I have been teaching about the seven spirits of God. At least seven ways that the Holy Spirit, one spirit, the spirit of God, manifests itself, expresses itself to the body of Christ. And uh, we left off with the spirit of might. And I want to teach about the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of knowledge. Uh, because in this hour, I have said so many times before that we really need knowledge in this hour. Now, the word knowledge appears 162 times throughout the Bible. And uh, knowledge, is, uh, Hebrew word knowledge, uh, is D-A-A-T-H. In Strong's Concordance, is 01847. And it means knowledge, perception, skill, discernment, understanding, wisdom. And uh, we want to talk about that. And I want to start off with the book of Genesis, the second chapter. And I'm going to skip around a little bit so you can kind of get the full meanings, meaning of what this is. Uh, word knowledge means and you're going to be blessed genesis 2 and we're going to take a look at the eighth and the ninth verse and then the 15th and the 17th verse the eighth verse of genesis 2 said the lord god planted a garden eastward in eden and there he put the man whom he had formed speaking about adam and out of the garden the lord god made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let me stop right there. Now, we see that God had uh, planted a garden in a place he called Eden, a place of paradise. There he put the man to till the ground. And the Bible says, out of the ground, he made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Uh, those trees there were going to be a, 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 a measure of uh, resources for man to eat. Uh, his different fruit and so forth. He would eat from the trees. But he gave him a strict instruction later on, and we're going to go over that. He said the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, the tree of life was a tree uh, in the garden that gave uh, Adam and Eve eternal life. When they would eat up that tree, they would have eternal life. And uh, it was a very important tree, but also there was another tree uh, it was called the knowledge of good and evil. Now, if we skip down to the 15th verse of Genesis 2, we say, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Now, God has given him a commandment. He's given him counsel. He's given him advice. He said, Of all of the other trees in the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree on the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat it. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And this is a commandment from his maker. 
that if you eat of this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the day you do it, you are going to die. Now, Adam didn't know what death was. So when God said, you're going to die, he didn't know what that meant. The only thing he knew as he walked with God, he knew the life of God. All he knew was good. But when you go to the book of Genesis, the third chapter, and I'm not going to turn that, I'll just kind of paraphrase it. We see that this serpent um, is more cunning than all of the other beasts of the field. He's speaking to the woman. He's asking her a question. Did God say that you can't eat of this tree? And um, he said, the day that you do eat of it, God knows that your eyes are going to be open. You're going to be wise. So he's tricking the woman. She's being deceived, but Adam is not. He's right there with his wife. And uh, she took of the tree of the fruit. She ate. She gave it to her husband with her. And the Bible said the eyes of both of them were open. Now, if you read the third chapter of Genesis, you'll see immediately Adam and Eve uh, running away, hiding themselves, and uh, because they heard the voice of God walking in the cool of the day. And God asked the question. He said, Adam, where are thou? He said, I hid myself um, from you. <laughs> I was naked. He said, well, who told you you was naked? And uh, he said, this woman you gave me. So now the blame game has started. And what the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and I need for you to hear this. It gave Adam and Eve, mankind, a knowledge that was forbidden for us to know and experience. We were never supposed to experience the knowledge of evil. In that tree, whatever that fruit was, it wasn't so much the fruit itself, but it was the disobeying of the commandment of God that was given to Adam by the Lord. When Eve first took of that fruit and she ate of it, if you notice in scripture, nothing happened to her until she gave it to her husband and he ate. And the Bible said the eyes of both of them became open. Their eyes were open immediately and they saw things that they had never seen before before they ate of that tree. They now knew that they were naked. They saw the nakedness of their bodies. They saw their private parts as being open and for everyone to see. There wasn't anyone around as far as humans, but there were animals and they were ashamed, I guess, probably to be in the presence of animals. They were ashamed to be in the presence of God. That's why they ran and hid themselves. They covered themselves. They were trying to cover. You see, what, what, what knowledge of evil does, it tries to get you to cover your sins. Whenever you're sinning, you always... Have you noticed that when you do something wrong, you're trying to cover it up? You just um, took something that didn't belong to you. You try to cover it up. You told some type of lie. You did wrong, and now you're trying to cover it up. What evil does, this knowledge, it teaches you everything that's in the embodiment of evil. What it does, it teaches you. You become the embodiment of what this tree represented. And that was Satan's rebellion. 
He rebelled in the beginning when Adam and Eve took up the tree of knowledge and evil and they ate, they became rebellious also. So now they have this rebellious nature. Now they were about to experience death because when Adam ate of that tree, he died spiritually immediately. Spiritual death is you're disconnected from God. Physical death is when your spirit leaves your body and you go to the grave. He was spiritually dead. He needed a savior to be born again. Now, I want you to hear this because this not only affected Adam and Eve, but all of us, because we were locked up in the bosom of Adam and Eve. Now it passed down through the generation because you notice when Adam knew his wife as far as sexual relationship, he knew her. He had relationship with her. They had an intimate relationship together. She had a son. She had Cain and Abel. Cain um, was the eldest and uh, he was jealous of his brother Abel and he knew the knowledge of how to kill him. This is what this knowledge taught him. It taught him how to be conniving and cunning and lay in wait in the field and to murder. What this knowledge taught him to do was how to murder how to get away with the murder as he thought, but he didn't know that God was watching him. <laughs> this knowledge taught mankind how to be deceptive, how to cheat and deceive, how to lie and to cover up, how to commit all different types of sins, how to rob, how to hurt people. This was the knowledge that God never intended for us to have everything that is in Satan is wrapped up in this knowledge of good and evil. It is a knowledge that was forbidden for us to experience because once we knew about this knowledge, we experienced it. Now, every day of our life, we are experiencing and walking in the knowledge of evil. That's why it's so evil to, it, it's so easy to hate. It's so easy to cheat people. People cheat on their taxes. Where did they get the knowledge from? People cheat in business. Where did they get the knowledge from? They defraud. They cheat in relationships. How did they know that? It's in the blood. It's in the DNA. It was passed down to you. You don't have to teach a child to lie. They automatically know how to do it. It was passed down through you, if that's your child. It came with the package. It's tied up in the blood. It's tied up in the spirit. That's why you must be born again. It's a knowledge that comes to you. And sometimes you ask yourself, how did I know how to do it? Because you saw it. Someone did it. You saw it. Now you desire to do it. Every sin that you committed, it was the knowledge of sin and evil that caused you to do it. That's why God did not want him to do it. 
In James, the third chapter, the 13th through the 17th verse, it says, who is wise and understanding among you? James is asking a question. Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Now he's speaking about wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to rightly take knowledge and use it. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom, James is speaking about a different wisdom, a different type of understanding. He said, this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. So when you're walking in the ways of the flesh, you're walking in the ways of this evil knowledge that passed down to you from your forefathers. It came from the act of disobedience in the Garden of Eden. That's why God did not want Adam and Eve to know of this knowledge. You have people lying in wait to harm someone, to break in their house. They plot it. Well, she's at work right now. She comes home about 11 o'clock. Let's, let's survey the house. There are four windows on the right-hand side. They plot how to break in. They plot how to do evil, how to kidnap. Where did they learn it from? It's the knowledge of evil that was passed down to them. So James saying that this wisdom does not come from above. This type of knowledge, but it's earthly, it's sensual, it's demonic. This evil is demonic. When you're lying in wait to harm someone, when you're scandalizing their name, you're slandering them, that is sensual, earthly, and demonic evil. That's a knowledge that I know what I say to you is going to hurt you. Where did it come from? It came from the demonic realm. 16th verse, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom of the knowledge that is from above is first pure, then peaceable and gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. That's the wisdom. That is the knowledge that the church needs to be walking in. And the only way you can do it is as if you have the Spirit of God. You have to be born again to get this type of wisdom and knowledge. It's pure. It's peaceful. It's gentle. It's willing. It's sincere. It's a loving type of knowledge. It's a knowledge that does not do evil, but it's a knowledge to do good. It is a knowledge of God. Because what, what we're going to be speaking about, the spirit of knowledge, and we're speaking about the gift of the Holy Spirit as he manifests himself to the body of Christ, how he imparts this knowledge of God, this holy, sincere, pure knowledge that comes from above. That's what we're going to speak about. But I just had to lay the foundation so you could see the evil side of knowledge. There's always an evil side of almost everything. Almost praise God. So we're speaking about knowledge. We're speaking about knowledge. Now the King James Dictionary, it breaks down knowledge like this. Knowledge is a clear and certain perception of that which exists of truth and fact. 
it's true and it's a fact we can have no knowledge of that which does not exist except God gives us that knowledge now we're speaking about heavenly knowledge how can you know about heavenly things unless that knowledge is revealed to you by the spirit of knowledge you can't know anything about the solar systems and thousands of light years in space or in the future unless it's revealed to you about by God you cannot you cannot know about the rims of heaven the rims of glory the different dimensions of spiritual things unless this knowledge is revealed to you by the spirit of knowledge there are aspects of god there are aspects of the word that you can never know unless it is given to you by the spirit of knowledge and that's what we're speaking about we're speaking about the seven spirits of god at least at least there are at least <laughs> seven ways that god reveals himself he manifests himself he instructs himself to the body of christ um God has perfect knowledge. He has perfect knowledge. There is nothing that God does not know. And God wants to reveal this knowledge to the body of Christ. Because human knowledge is very limited. And it's mostly gained by observation. We look at something, we gain knowledge from it. We see someone do it, um, we gain knowledge. Just take, for instance, a recipe. We may be in the kitchen with someone cooking and putting together a special dish. Uh, we look at the different uh, ingredients they put in, look at the temperature of the oven is, uh, look at uh, whether they use butter or salt or, or whatever the special way to do it. What do they mix first? What are the wet ingredients, the dry ingredients? How do they mix it all together, slow, fast speed, whatever? You, you learn knowledge by seeing something, which is good. It's good to have that kind of knowledge. But also you learn knowledge when it is expressed or revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. Knowledge is also an illumination of your mind. You can gain knowledge by having skill. Skill is a type of knowledge. I sometimes they will uh, offer jobs, skilled laborers, electricians. Um, welders, brick masons, carpenters, skill. That means that you have knowledge of a particular field. Skilled computer technicians, skilled truck drivers, skilled chefs. You have skill in it. The only way you could have skill is you have experienced it. When you're walking with God, you learn a certain skill. Praise God, a certain knowledge. You can also have knowledge of a person. Oh, I think I know that person. I know that person very well. Why? Because I've had experience with that person. Knowledge is also a type of information. It's an information that you have. It is a ability to express something because you have learned it or you know something about it. 
you go to these uh, universities, uh, high schools, or any type of school of learning, the teacher or the professor is there because they have learned a certain amount of knowledge to teach you. Now, just because a teacher knows the ins and outs of mathematics, that doesn't mean they know history. That doesn't mean they know English, that they can teach English the verbs and adjectives and nouns and pronouns. They may have a working knowledge, a, 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 a powerful knowledge of everything related to math and science, but not know anything about English. They don't have that type of knowledge. Hey guys, that's all for this segment of the broadcast. We're speaking about the spirit of knowledge. I hope that this part was a blessing. I'll be back shortly. This is Voice Over Nations, Carrie B. Vine Radio. Talk to you soon.